This episode is brought to you by Greg Morris Cards. If you're looking to unload your collection and maybe turn some of that old cardboard into cash, Greg Morris can help. Greg's always buying collections of vintage basketball, baseball, football, or hockey cards. If you have modern or ultra-modern graded cards, he'll buy those as well. On top of all that, Greg takes cards on consignment. Go to gregmorriscards.com to sell them your cards, or you can email joe at gregmorriscards.com directly. What's up, everyone? This is episode 144 of the Wax Museum podcast, where I talk about all things basketball cards from past to present to future. This is your host, Kyle. And as always, you guys can find me throughout the week on social media. My Instagram is at Wax Museum Podcast, and my Twitter is at Wax Museum PC. Well, speaking of social media... Hey. Well, actually, hold on. I've got someone interrupting me here. I mean, I literally just started the show... Uh, can I help you? Hey, hey, do you remember that time where we put all the wrong players on the wrong cards? <laughs> that was funny, right? Uh, go home, Panini. You're drunk. But yes, I do remember that. And I'm going to talk about that a little in today's main segment. Because even though we've seen examples of mismatched cards all season long, I discovered one this past weekend that really made me shake my head. So you'll want to stay tuned for that. I've got a few other things I want to talk about first, though. Uh, the Zion National Treasures Logo Man Auto was finally pulled. I want to touch on some of the reactions I've seen to that. And then I made a pretty nice trade this week with one of my YouTube subscribers. He actually found that channel before he found this show. Usually it's the other way around. But I got those cards in the mail this week, and I definitely have to talk about that. Okay, so let's start off with this Zion Logo Man. Um, I know it's been posted to death on social media, but I have a few things I want to add for future reference. Remember, I treat this show as a little time capsule. So I talked a little about this Logo Man or the prospect of someone pulling this Logo Man before on episode uh, 107. You can hear more about that. So at one point, there were competing bounties for this card. I think Grand Slam Collectibles offered $350,000. Blowout was offering $500,000, and then there was a high-end collector on Instagram that was offering $550,000. And then here's a quote from that episode that's, that's kind of funny to me now, uh, because I said, similar to the Tatum logo, man, Zion hasn't surfaced. Out of the two, I think the Tatum is more likely to turn up. I feel like a lot more people are stashing sealed wax now than they were in 2017, but who knows? End quote. Well, now we all know. Supposedly, this Zion was pulled by a breaker in Beijing, and at the moment, it's not for sale. Nonetheless, a lot of people on social media weighed in, and some of them incorrectly. And I'll say this. Over the last year, with some of Panini's, um, you know, I call them shenanigans. Other people will say it's, it's things that they had to do during COVID, whatever you want to call them. Over this time frame, I've seen a lot of people talking about relics. And a lot of these people have very little knowledge about relics. They don't know the difference between a jersey and a patch. They don't understand the significance of the rookie photo shoot. And they most certainly don't understand the dynamics of what players wore what jerseys when. So 
Let me take a few moments to clear a few things up, because similarly, I saw multiple people claiming this Zion wasn't even player-worn. I saw someone else make a comment about the fact that the Logo Man was plastic. Look, the facts are out there. This is not difficult. So first off, we've seen Plastic Logo Man on some of the rookie relics since around 2014. That's nothing new. In fact, the NBA switched to Plastic Logo Man patches on game-worn jerseys in 2017, so that was four years ago. So any of them from that point forward that are from any type of jersey should be plastic. So if you're going to complain about that, I guess you really don't want game-worn, or at least you have no clue what you're really uh, begging for. Now, secondly, all of Zion's rookie year relics were at least player-worn. Um, it was starting with the LaMelo rookie class, so that's 2020, where rookie relics were not game-worn or player-worn. So please, 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 if you're in a position of influence and you don't know about a particular topic, either find someone that does, take the time to do some more research, or move on to another topic that you're better equipped to handle. Otherwise, you're doing more harm than good, because more often than not, I hear this misinformation parroted by other collectors further down the road, and sometimes other content creators too. Anyway, speaking of parroting, if I don't move on soon, I'm going to start repeating another segment that I did on misinformation on episode 115. So now's as good a time as any to move on to this week's mail, which features some relics that I think are very significant. And the first package was a single card mail day from eBay. It was a 2001-2002 Topps Pristine Sweat and Tears towel card of Reggie Miller. And if you've never seen one of these in person before, they're surprisingly thin, or at least I think so, considering that they have a piece of a towel in them. Um, the front has a picture of Reggie, and the hole for the relic is in the shape of a big letter S. And it's a pretty chunky looking letter as well. Um, and then unlike a lot of other relics, you can feel the material from the back of the card as well. They left it open and the cutout is in the shape of the letter T. So remember that set is called Sweat and Tears, so hence the S is on one side and the T is on the others. Um, and I will admit, I collected that set for a while before I even realized that the letters were there and kind of the, the significance of that. So nice little, uh, a nice little touch there from Topps. Um, this is one of the more unique sets from basketball card history, in my opinion, and it doesn't really get a lot of recognition. I think part of the reason is because the checklist just lacks star power. It, it doesn't lack pacers, however. Out of the 50 players on the checklist, seven of them are pacers, so there are some pacers fans that are very familiar with this set. Um, I know that towel relics might not be particularly exciting to people, but these towels were all from the playoffs. And it doesn't tell what year, but I'm assuming they're from 2001. Um, one, because every team features was in the 2001 playoffs. And two, the Mavs were in the set and they had they missed the playoffs from 91 to 2000. So um, it had to have been after that. So at least their towel is from 2001. And even though this is a card of Reggie Miller, I doubt the towel was actually used by Reggie Miller. You know, I'm okay with that. The back of the card says they were acquired from the team. I, I figure they just sent Todd a big batch of miscellaneous playoff towels after the season ended. Either way, I still think that's a lot cooler than some random relics from who knows where. Okay, uh, when it comes to mail segments, I would say that that's a pretty good start, but believe it or not, that mail day was topped by another. Because sometime last week, a collector named Bond messaged me on Instagram 
with a question about some 2000-2001 Topps Chrome cards he found that had a yellow tint to them, mainly the rookies, which, by the way, I'd never seen before, even though I busted that product. You can see I, I put an old, old video of me opening that product on YouTube. Um, so if you know anything about that and the card's yellowing, shoot me a message. I'd love to pass that along to him. But um, even though I wasn't able to answer his question, we started chatting about the players and the teams that we collected. And it's kind of funny because he's a big Knicks fan. I'm a Pacers fan. They obviously had that big rivalry in the 90s. And he sent me a picture of a couple cards that he owned, and he said something to the effect of, here are some cards that I pulled that you would probably appreciate. And the first one was a 2000-2001 Top Stars NBA Finals jersey of Travis Best. And it was a gold piece from the side of the uniform, which is a little more rare than the other ones. So, yeah, I was definitely interested in that. It's Pacers and it's Finals. And the second card he showed me was one that I was really shocked to see. It was a 2000-2001 Topps Gold Label Finals jersey of Derek McKee, except it was the leather parallel, which is incredibly hard to come by. Uh, these aren't serial numbered, but uh, there's a German collector, a Shaq collector, on Instagram named Torsten, and he made a, a really insightful post about the gold label relics roughly six weeks ago, and he calculated the leather parallels were limited to 25 copies for each Pacers player, and that lines up with some other predictions I've seen, so I, I think that's right. Um, when Bond sent me that picture, you know, first off I was floored, but then I, I showed him, you know, hey, here's, in my mind, here's how rare these things are, I've been collecting these for years, and I only have two. I have Austin Crozier and Sam Perkins. And he saw that picture, and, and there just so happened to be another card in there that I hadn't cropped out. It was a 20, uh, or a, I'm sorry, a 2000-2001 a Topps Chrome Finals patch of Robert Ory. And I traded for that at the 2019 National. He noticed that, and he said, is that Robert Ory number to 25? I have an AC green like that that I also pulled. Well, I, I said I was floored earlier. It was like, you know, the hits kept coming because that's another set that I've been chipping away at, and he's had this card in his possession for years. Um, so, you know, I I try I got to keep my composure here. It's not every day I, I come across three cards at once that I'm really interested in that I've been looking for for a while. So, um, but I did, I, I you know, I let him know, hey, man, I'm really interested in those. I don't want to pressure you, but if you are receptive to moving them, I'm your guy. And, um, like I said, he's a Knicks fan. I'm a Pacers fan. So he said, well, what Knicks rookies do you have? And I just so happened to have a nice RJ Barrett that he wanted. So we came up with comps as best as we could. And, and it was a pretty simple trade to put together. I said, Hey, you know, would you accept this for those? I, I think it's similar. And he said, yes. And there you go. Um, I got some final stuff I wanted. He got a nice RJ to add to his Knicks PC. So once again, thanks for reaching out, Bon. I'm happy we were able to piece together a deal. And it's nice to add another friend in the hobby in the process. And um, before I move on from the mail segment, I will say the whole process got me to thinking, you know, this wouldn't have happened without a bunch of, of seemingly unrelated hobby events and hobby interactions from the past couple of years all coming full circle. You see, I started this podcast in March of 2019 and the YouTube channel came about as an extension of that. And that's how he found me. So um, we got to talking about 2000 Topps Chrome Rookie Cards, which is a, a product that I opened on there. That sparked a bigger conversation. 
and we got to talk about teams and such. He saw a card that I traded for at the 2019 National, prompted him to bring up a card he had, and then I dealt him a card that I got at this year's National from someone else that I met through my patch and RPA work. So all of these connections that I've made kind of came together, and otherwise this wouldn't have happened. So all of that is to say, if you're struggling to find the cards that you're looking for, you might be closer than you realize. The connections that you're making throughout your search could all string together someday in some weird way. Now, that's not why I did all this. I did not start this podcast or I didn't start that channel to find, you know, specifically an AC Green Lakers patch. I didn't know that's where it would lead to, but it ended up being a really fun byproduct in the process. So hang in there. Um, I guess you could say, you know, trust the process and keep searching. All right. Before I move into today's main segment, I want to take a moment to remind you how you can support this show. As you guys know, there are costs that go into producing a podcast. One of my goals is to always keep this show itself free. As a result, I've signed up for affiliate programs with eBay and Fanatics. If you'd like to help support this show in this way, go to www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. Click whatever store you need to go to, shop as planned, and the show gets a small commission in the process. Once again, that's www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. Hi, this is Alan Siegel, the designer of the NBA logo, and now you're listening to the Wax Museum Podcast. Okay, so as some of you guys know, I've got a bit of a running gag with some of my friends and some of the people that have come on this show that um, hoops sucks, right? That's a phrase that I've talked about before, and I know it's a low-end set. Um, I've said it on here before. Actually, it wasn't me that started that phrase. It was Mrs. Wax Museum. You see, Mrs. Wax Museum started opening prison with me in 2017, and she's never really wanted the cards themselves, but like a lot of other people, she enjoys the chase. She likes opening something. Well, the 2018 holiday season rolled around, and she wanted to buy me something I could rip, a hobby box, because most of what we ripped was retail, and at the time, hoops boxes were about $75 a piece, and that was a pretty good price point for a Christmas gift. So she went with that. So anyway, we opened the box together, and this was long before the Luca and Trey prices had blown up, even though it was a 2018 box. And I, I think we ended up with an Omari Spellman auto and some random numbered cards. And when all was said and done, she had one main takeaway, and that was that hoop sucks. And it's kind of stuck ever since. Now, even though I agree with her that there are certain elements of the product that suck, primarily the explosion parallels and the snow parallels, those are things that I just can't get into. Um, even though I, I don't like those, there are a couple things that I actually enjoy. Number one, I like the in-game photos. Seems like most cards these days have uh, cropped backgrounds. Well, not hoops. The majority of the veterans are quality in-game photos. The second thing I usually like about the release is the timing. I say usually because, you know, who knows if we're ever going to see the set for the 2021 season, but we should see it soon because it's typically the first NBA release of the season. So even though it isn't my favorite product, it sort of christens the new season, and that's exciting for me. This was especially the case in February of this year, uh, even though I couldn't find any hoops. Uh, the fact that it was out was exciting to me, you know, 2020 had been a crazy year in general, the new season was underway, and that meant another year of collecting was around the corner too. And as it turned out, 
the 2020 hoops release set the tone for how the rest of the year's calendar would ultimately play out. At least for me, it did. And yes, I know these were manufactured during a pandemic, but to me, that excuse has played out. Panini was starting to get lazy long before COVID. We can't blame every single thing on COVID. Um, all right, so Hoops comes out in February 2021, and as I was going through the Pacers in-game photos in the base set, I noticed that Miles Turner looked uh, small. About a second later, I realized that Miles uh, Miles Card did not, in fact, feature Miles Turner, but it pictured Justin Holiday instead. And out of curiosity, I checked Getty Images to see if they had the wrong caption on the photo. Uh, and, you know, maybe Panini just went with that. Well, I found the exact same photo from a December 2019 game against the Lakers, and it said, Justin Holiday, number eight of the Indiana Pacers, drives to the basket. So Panini just messed up. And we've seen that multiple times since then. In this year's Prism release, Kev- uh, Kevon Looney was pictured on Eric Paschal's base card. Jeremy Grant was pictured on a Tory Craig auto. Uh, then in select, Doug McDermott was pictured on a TJ Leaf memorabilia auto. I'm, you know, I'm sure there are more. Those are the ones that stood out to me or the ones that came to my mind, my mind quickly. And then really, if you want to include the most recent WNBA Prism release, that set was littered with errors as well. Now, um, I have not seen every basketball card in existence. I'd like to think that I've seen a lot of them, but no, I haven't seen all of them. But I can't think of five cards from the entire history of basketball cards that have had the wrong player pictured on them. I'm sure there's some out there, but uh, they're not widely known. And I know there are some examples from other sports. You could probably bring up, um, I think, Miguel Cabrera's Bowman Prospects card. But, you know, that card was made when he was like 17 years old. So, yeah, they got the wrong teenager. But um, anyway, I can't think of any basketball ones throughout history. And here we got at least five from Panini, I say in a single calendar year, but most of them were at the start of the year. Um, And I'm not talking about printing errors. We've seen that a lot, you know, where one player's front of the card is printed with a different player's back. Or like 2009 Upper Deck had tons of misprints on the front with the names. Those are all printing errors. What I'm talking about are just Panini errors. Well, if all of those weren't entertaining enough, I've got a real doozy that I discovered this past weekend. It all started out when I was scrolling through my Instagram feed. And I came across a card I had never seen before on an account that was named Spurs underscore cards underscore. It was a 2020-2021 Panini Recon Auto of a spur named John Shoemate. And that got my attention for a couple reasons. Number one, I'd never seen him in a Panini set, much less an autograph set. And number two, um, I didn't know who he was. You know, I could tell from a picture that he looked like a player from the, you know, maybe the 70s or the 80s. But um, he wasn't part of any sets that I specialized in, so, you know, I didn't know him. I figured maybe there was something I was missing out on, so I looked him up. And um, he played a little over 300 games, and he has tops cards in 1976 and 1977 as a Buffalo Brave. In 1978 tops, he was a Piston. And then in 1980 tops, which you guys might remember from the Magic Bird rookie, you know, the three-panel mini cards. Well, in that set, he was a spur. But I didn't remember any of those, and it, it still seemed odd that they would put him in an auto set for the first time in the middle of a pandemic when they're dumping stickers of other players. You know, who knows? Maybe he lives down the road from Panini or something. 
Uh, but it seemed odd. So I posted it on my Twitter to see if, you know, some of my other basketball guys on there wanted to give their take. So first up was a collector named AZ underscore card underscore collector who I've traded with before. He's a huge Suns fan. And he said, I wish Panini had made this a Suns card instead. Then he looked at it again and uh, replied a second time. Don't think that's John Shoemate on the card. Maybe Mike Mitchell. So things were starting to get interesting. So I texted Tim Gallagher because he's my ultimate source on these kind of things as he saw all these guys play in person. You know, he sought them out for autographs before and after games. So he's very familiar with a lot of these guys. And he confirmed, yes, that is Mike Mitchell. So I decided I would do a little Googling to see if I could find the source photo. And it didn't take long. If you type in John Shoemate Spurs, a Getty Images photo of Mike Mitchell is the first result on Google Images. And it contains the following caption. John Shoemate, number 34 of the San Antonio Spurs, takes a jumper against the Los Angeles Lakers during the NBA game in 1970 in San Antonio, Texas. But if you look at the photo, he's clearly being defended by Clark Kellogg, um, who was an Indiana Pacer, and also a guy that was drafted in 1982, which was a year after Shoemate played in his last NBA game. Now, I know there are, you know, there are some people out there that are going to say I'm being too critical of Panini, and and maybe so. You know, I, I'm not going to try and, and hide that. Maybe so. Um, there might be some people that say, you know what, the onus in that case falls on Getty Images. I think that's fair. But at the same time, Getty had their Justin Holiday picture labeled correctly, and Panini still used it on a Miles Turner card. Either way, whoever's at fault, they got it wrong. And the, and you know what? Panini's company name is on it. So let me take a moment to sum all of that up. In true 2020 fashion, for whatever reason, Panini decided to use a really obscure role player to fill out a recon auto set. And then to top it all off, because they're not very good at Google, they used a picture of the wrong guy. And I'll quote Tim Gallagher here, who said to me, if John had been signing the actual card instead of a dumb piece of tape, he would have pointed out, uh, people, that's not me. <laughs> now, at the end of the day, however, there is a bright side to this story, because this error on Panini's part prompted me to do quite a bit of reading up on John Shoemate, and as it turns out, he's got a pretty remarkable basketball story. I had to dig a little deeper than his Wikipedia, because really there's not a whole lot of information there. That's more about his coaching career. So I'd like to close out today's episode by sharing... Uh, some of the information I found with you, and, and maybe we can help turn this whole situation into a positive. So, um, John Shoemate played his college ball at Notre Dame for legendary coach Digger Phelps. And it's interesting, I found a snippet of Phelps' book where he calls Shoemate the best salesman Notre Dame ever had. And he credits him with helping to land future NBA Hall of Famer Adrian Dantley. But there was a point during Shoemate's college career where he had bigger things to worry about than what was happening on the hardwood, or even recruiting. Because in the fall of 1971, he was experiencing pain in his calf and shortness of breath. He got everything checked out, and he had a clot in his, in his calf and a viral infection around his heart, which prevented him from taking the antibiotics he needed. So um, I found all of that information in Argosy's Pro Basketball Yearbook from 1975 and 1976. They were doing kind of a... Um, a you know, feel good story about him. So anyway, he had this blood clot and he had an infection in his heart. 
and this caused him to miss his entire sophomore season. But he did recover, and even though he lost 45 pounds, he came back stronger than ever. So much so that in a game with UCLA, John Wooden threatened to bring in a player to quote-unquote act as a policeman to counter Shoemate's physical style of play. Well, it should be noted that Shoemate and his Fighting Irish got their revenge the next year when they snapped UCLA's 88-game winning streak. And even though Bill Walton scored 24 points, guess what? John Shoemate faced up with them, and he did too. Um, Now, Walton did go number one in the 74 draft shortly after, but Shoemate went number four to the Phoenix Suns. Uh, Before he even played a game, though, unfortunately, he got really sick in training camp. And uh, a lot of people thought, you know what, no, he's just um, he's just getting sick because he, he knows he can't live up to the high expectations that come with the high pick, or you know, he knows he, he can't um, play worth you know the money that they're giving him, and you know, all this horrible things they were saying. Um, and he had a number of scans performed on his body, and, and for a while they couldn't find anything, but you know, he knew something was wrong, and finally they found more blood clots in his left lung. So they ended up putting him on blood thinners. And, and you might remember Chris Bosch has had some issues uh, with blood clots as well, and, and it actually ended his career. So it's not something you want to take lightly, especially if you're a pro athlete. But um, Shoemate was able to recover, and he eventually made his NBA debut in October of 1975. And looking back, you know, earlier I mentioned that he only played 300 games. I guess when you put it into that context, it's pretty remarkable. Now, I'm not going to give Panini credit for knowing his story because they didn't mention any of that on the back of the card. You know, I mean, realistically, they didn't even know what the man looked like. They only mentioned that he became a coach later in life, and that's primarily what's talked about on his Wikipedia. Um, You know, the Wikipedia doesn't even mention the clots either. So, um, like I said, though, they did mention the coaching. And after his playing career ended, he volunteered as an assistant at Notre Dame. That led to other roles. Um, He had a couple of other head coaching jobs in college. He was an assistant coach with the inaugural Toronto Raptors team. He coached the Phoenix Mercury of the WNBA in 2003. And then he was an assistant with the Suns in 2009 as well. So, you know, combine that with his college career, his pro career, and and coaching. He's, He's been in basketball a long time. You know, I'd say that was a pretty good little basketball career for John Shoemate. All right. Well, there you have it. I know you didn't come into this episode uh, to hear the life story of John Shoemate, but I hope you enjoyed it nonetheless. And if nothing else, I'm hoping this might help in a couple of ways. Number one, you know, I'd say it's likely that Panini has a bunch of these stickers that they still haven't packed out in products. So if you're breaking any products this year, you're likely to pull one. Well, maybe now it will have some significance to you. I kind of want one myself. And then number two, since we figure Panini's going to keep using these stickers, can we at least get the correct picture on there? You know, it's not like he signed the wrong card with the wrong picture and and they can't undo it. Um, If they haven't stuck these stickers on the cards, find a, you know, find a picture that's actually him. Is that too much to ask from Panini? Uh, I know they've been a little tipsy this year, but come on. Anyway, let me know what you think about all that on my social media. You can find me on Instagram under at Wax Museum Podcast or Twitter under the handle at Wax Museum PC. If you enjoyed this episode, I encourage you to support the show by doing all of your eBay purchasing through the link on my site, which is www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. 
There's a big eBay logo at the top. Click that and it should give me a small percentage of whatever you purchase in the 24 hours that follow. Once again, that's www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. In the meantime, if you like the content I'm providing, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcast. Hit up the Podbean site for a link to the merch store. Tag Taco Bell and let them know they can pay me in burritos. And until next time, this is the Wax Museum Podcast.